Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. ¿Qué cuentas en inglés? ¿En inglés? ¿En inglés? One. It's me, May, and that is also me. I used to make a lot of home videos as a kid. Seven. Nine. Nine. Ten. Now I'm on the radio. Polis also signed a bill into law Monday that creates a fund to help two river basins meet groundwater sustainability targets. This is CPR News and KRCC. I'm May Ortega. The way I've told stories has changed, but I've always been a storyteller. When I became a journalist, though, I realized that to report on other people, I had to figure out my own story. In this episode, we're going to change things up a little bit. This time, I'm going to go back to the beginning and tell you my story. From Colorado Public Radio, this is Quien Are We? Exploring what it means to be mestizo, nicaragüense, Latina, or however you identify, and diving into the beautiful things that make us who we are. I'm May Ortega. And an important person from my life is going to help me tell you my story. Well, I'm Maida Ortega. I'm the mother of this little person that became a, a woman and yeah. <laughs> married to the most wonderful man in the world. Yeah. I have never worked in my life because he takes care of me and my family and everything. So I have always, always take, taken care of you guys, but I'm super happy and I'm a wonderful mother, I hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so, yes. Um, so, ¿te acuerdas when I was little and I only spoke Spanish? Oh, yeah. We would play Loteria and you would always do La Rana, La Sirena. And so you you would always do it because your voice was so beautiful and tiny and, you know. <laughs> um, entonces... ¿Cuándo crees que me enseñé? When did you think I learned how to speak English? When you started school. I grew up in South Texas. I grew up in a really small town called Rio Grande City. Very rural area. Um, right on the border with Mexico, too. The border was literally behind our Walmart. There's a lot of mesquite plants. I think I don't know. I think in English it's just mesquite. And a lot of cacti were like the main flora of the area. And coyotes, tarantulas, rattlesnakes. A, a smell that I do associate with growing up in Rio Grande City is the smell of carne asada, which is, you know, like you go out and you barbecue outside. Yeah, so I am the oldest of two kids. I have a younger brother, and we're like seven or eight years apart. My parents are both from Mexico. My dad was undocumented for a while. He's a citizen now. And my mom had dual citizenship because she was a migrant worker when she was growing up. And they started dating in the 80s. 
Uh, we were at, uh, I was at a cousin's wedding. I didn't know who your dad was. And I asked my cousin was sitting next to me. Hey, who's that guy? And she said, oh, it's Chopo. Oh, I'm Maida. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you all met in the 80s, right? Oh, yeah. I made him in uh, January of 1988. Wow. wow. Yeah, I remember you've told me that he had a perm when you met, pero que él dice que no. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. Yes. He, he said it was natural. And I said, what? And you know how it stinks at the at the beginning, you know? Yeah. The perm back yeah. in the 80s. <laughs> oh, no, this is natural. And I said, okay, I guess. <laughs> they got married, moved over here, and then I was born a few years later. Once I started school, so what, I was around five or six is when you start pre-K. Um, I don't know if it's still a thing, but they were trying really hard, like the administration and the teachers were trying really hard to Americanize um, the students. At the beginning, at pre-K, it was English and Spanish. Mm -hmm. In first grade, we noticed that everything was in English. And even though we talked to you in Spanish, everything would come back in English. So sometimes like they would, I remember that they would like slap the back of your hand with rulers if you were speaking Spanish when they would tell you not to. And this was like a thing throughout most of my elementary school. And then we said, oh my God, what's going to happen? What's gonna, what, what is this? We need to keep uh, speaking Spanish. And we do. This is a, speaking, a, a Spanish a Spanish speaking family. But no, you kept, because all day you were in school and everything was in English. Yeah. So. All my friends también, all my friends spoke English. Yep, everybody here is just English. And at the same time, my parents were at home trying to learn English. My dad was trying to learn how to speak English. So I was just like, my whole world revolved around English for a good while, to the point where I just forgot how to speak Spanish. Like, almost completely. Like 90, 95% of it just like poofed out of my head. Well, it was tough because when you were see your grandma or we went to Mexico to see your other grandpas and grandmas, they couldn't understand you, you know? Yeah. And your cousins from Mexico, they would make fun of how you speak because when you tried to speak Spanish, uh, it sounded weird to them. Yeah. Like they said you sounded like a cartoon or something and I would get mad and I would try to, you know, keep calm. But yeah, I would, it was, it was tough. Yeah. I try, I try. I always told my mother, your your abuelita, que try to speak to her in, in words that are easy, you know, oh, not yeah. too complicated. Yeah. In español, you know, que no fueran something like I don't know, something too hard. Yeah. So like easy words, so you can talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. But I remember how I felt around that time in school that I just felt like confused and discouraged because like this is all I know and I didn't realize it was a bad thing because I mean they frame it as a bad thing and I didn't think of it as a bad thing so I just remember feeling not good about it but I mean I didn't really have a choice right so I just kind of went with it I didn't complain to my parents about it or anything because I guess when you're a kid you don't totally understand why things happen so I'm just like well it's happening to everybody so this must be normal but I was actually able to find a way to communicate and express myself that crossed language and cultural barriers a ver, Lengua. Ay, ay. 
I had an affinity when I was pretty young, when I was like 10 or 9, for making home videos. Oh, yeah. You would take videos all day of everything. It was a little complicated because it was the first thing and it was rough and big and plastic. <laughs> yeah. And you would take videos and we would try to download them to those big computers. Yeah. <laughs> and it was difficult, but oh my God, you would take it everywhere and take videos of everything. Low quality, of course, but it was there. <laughs> it was something that I made. <laughs> yep. ¿Cómo se dice, mami? When I started making these videos, it was around the age, the time of my life where I felt like I was ni de aquí ni de allá, right? That I wasn't from here or from there. I felt not Mexican enough, but also not white. Um, and I think, yeah, making these videos was a way to kind of express myself, not directly, like I wasn't making videos critiquing like race or identity issues in America, obviously, because I was like a child and I didn't understand that. But I think that that was one way that this like half and half, these two split identities or one split identity were kind of like me team. So what about when I was in middle school? What was I like then? Well, you were in your emo thingy. <laughs> you were dressed in black. You had your hair and half the face. I couldn't see one of your eyes, never. <laughs> when I was in middle school, I was this kind of kid who wore black a lot. I dressed like emo, as they say. So at home, I was being teased about not speaking my native language. Meanwhile, at school, I was being teased because I dressed like a freak, quote unquote, is the, the word that they would use a lot. Um, and I think looking back now, a lot of the kids who would tease me that way at school were kids who were more Mexican, I guess, who did speak Spanish, who like dressed of the type. I think maybe back then I was trying to push back against what was expected of me with how I dressed, and I was bullied for it. But around this time, I also started to find a new type of storytelling I was passionate about. So when I was in high school, you know, I was in media tech, like from my freshman oh, yeah. year. Do you remember <laughs> when I created the the news show that we had porque it was like in my oh, last yeah. two years or something do you remember anything about that oh yeah it was great I, w I was so happy i was so so impressed with you and you guys did that and it was the first time and it was amazing i mean i loved it i would tell everybody and everything i, I wanted to go to school every day so i could see you <laughs> <laughs> so because i had this experience in like newscasts news world kind of dipping my toe in once i got to college naturally i think journalism was an obvious choice plus you know there were those old home videos recording the world around me was where i felt most like myself and then I realized that it could help other people, too. I'm like 21 at this point. I started looking into a local juvenile prison because we had received a tip that there were 
guards who were like breaking kids' bones and handcuffing them and making them shower handcuff while people like watch them, like really demeaning situations. So I started looking into that and talking to the parents of these kids who were affected and talking to the people in charge. The Texas Department of Justice hated me for a good while because I was requesting all these documents and I was doing my thing. At first we were scared about it because we thought she's going to go in there to see all that and to talk to them and and all that and said well she's a very strong girl and she loves what she do so let's let her do it hopefully nothing happens a lot of the families were latinos who didn't speak english super well and i didn't like that i couldn't get my thoughts out when i was talking to them because i didn't know how so I thought, well, this one instance is really frustrating. If I'm going to stay in journalism and I want to be able to have these conversations with more people who may traditionally not have the space to talk to someone about these issues because they don't speak English well, I have to learn. Not just for me, but for them. You know, it's just I think it's it's a given that I have to be able to speak Spanish so I can talk to more people and thus tell those stories better as well. So I did. I like taught myself. I started reading things. I just started kind of like dig because it was there. It was in my mind. It just was pushed back and I never used it and I never pushed myself to use it. So eventually I like pushed myself and I learned to the point where I could have a conversation at least, which was step one. And eventually, you know, I was doing all these different front page stories, critically looking at the things that were going on with proof and everything. The superintendent eventually resigned because I was really putting the pressure on. It's going to be a great story and she's going to come out. How do I say it? You can say it in Spanish. It's fine. <laughs> oh? Yeah. Uh, que va a salir victoriosa. Oh, that all come out know? like on top. De lo que hizo. Yes. And everybody's going to recognize you and, and read the story. Nobody knew about it. You know, nobody knew yeah. about it. It was the first time. So it was amazing when it came out. It was, oh my God. It was like we could cry and everything about the stuff you wrote. Yeah. It was poor kids, pobrecitos, you know. After that happened, they changed some of the policies and they were becoming more communicative, you know, with the families of the people being incarcerated and everything. So that really made it clear to me that, oh, this isn't just for like New York Times people, you know, journalists at every level can provide meaningful work and like affect change through just like doing your job well. It felt like I was standing up to bullies, but not mine which was fulfilling in a whole different way. And I don't say you're like giving a voice to the voiceless or whatever. Everyone has a voice. I'm just the vehicle. I'm giving you a megaphone to make your voice be louder. So I was proud of myself for beginning to relearn my native language, but... I had no idea that connecting with my heritage like that would raise even more questions. After the break, it turns out in Albuquerque, people saw things differently than in the border valley where I'd lived my whole life. Hey, my name's Luis Antonio Perez. I'm the lead producer of Quien Are We? I'm just one of many people who help make this podcast. Representation is something that's extremely important to me, especially as a Latino creator. 
It's part of our shared mission in creating this show. You can help our mission by just taking a moment to give Kianar We a rating or review on whatever podcast app you use. It really makes a difference in helping people find the show and elevating las voces lindas de nuestra gente latina. Thank you for supporting us and celebrating Latinidad with Colorado Public Radio. All this time growing up, I was bullied because I didn't dress Mexican enough. I didn't speak Spanish. I didn't feel Mexican enough. And so when I grew up, I learned Spanish and did everything I could to reconnect with my Mexican roots. And now, all of a sudden in Albuquerque, I started wondering, maybe I wasn't Mexican. Albuquerque was the first place that I moved to as soon as I graduated from college. So when I moved to New Mexico, I had already had this identity of Mexican-American. That's how I used to identify when I moved to Albuquerque. And then I just kind of started realizing that while my last name was very uncommon, where I grew up in very Mexican Texas, in very Spanish New Mexico, it was super common. There was, you know, tons of Ortegas everywhere. On the campus where I worked for my radio station, there was an Ortega Hall. And so that kind of was the first inkling for me where I was like, wait, this is more, I'm, there's more Spanish here than I ever really considered there would be. I learned how it worked, right? How, like, Spanish people came to Mexico, ravaged the land, and they, you know, killed, raped, pillaged, all this stuff. And eventually, I am kind of, like, the product of that, I guess. Um, and so learning all these things, it was a lot. It was like an identity crisis because I grew up somewhere where, like, you're Mexican. Mexico's the whole thing. We're Mexican, we're Mexican, we're Mexican. And then I'm in Albuquerque where it's like, well, I mean, there are Mexicans here, but also like a lot of people here are Spanish, blah, blah, blah. And so I had to be like, am I white? <laughs> like there was a little while where I was like, am I a Caucasian individual? So I just kind of had to grapple with those things and the guilt of like being the product. The odds of everything leading up to me being here in terms of my lineage, being consensual, I don't think the odds are super high of that. So it was just a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, and a lot of like anger because it's not my fault. But still, I wish those things hadn't happened. But when I was doing all this learning in Albuquerque, I learned that Hispanic describes people who are from Spanish-speaking countries. So that includes Spain. Um, and Latino is people who are from Latin American countries. And that does not include Spain. So, I mean, I'm from Mexico. My parents are from Mexico. I don't even know how far back my family is from Mexico. I wanted to acknowledge and honor the fact that I am Mexican-American and not like Spanish-American. I think I had to honestly sit with those questions about identity and where I came from. And eventually, it sort of felt clear. I felt okay with who I was, proud even. 
And going through that made me start thinking about my journalism differently. Those hard-hitting investigative pieces were really important, but maybe there were ways to tell stories like what I had been through, and maybe they could make people happy. After all, I like being happy, and I want other people to feel that way too. If I have a chance to help people feel better in their day-to-day -day lives, why wouldn't I take that? I had been in New Mexico and Albuquerque for about three years. I had already gone through this whole, you know, grappling with identity thing. And by the time, like, that we were getting ready to come to Denver, I felt pretty secure in who I was. And I had also, like, found some forgiveness for myself for things that were beyond my control. I spoke Spanish super well. I was doing entire interviews in Spanish with some people if they needed me to and all these things. So I felt very capable and I felt very, like... Latina. I felt very, I felt a way that I had never felt before in my life, like very proud of who I was and very secure in that. I'd covered wildfires, shootings. He had risked his life to protect others during the attack. The pandemic. The CDC and the state government have eased pandemic restrictions once again. And it was honestly getting to me. So I started to get back into stories that could help balance all the bad stuff. That's the sound of some little monkeys called gibbons. Hanging and that sort of led me to an idea for a podcast about Latino experiences, about joy. And suddenly, I got a sign that maybe I was on the right track. I remember it was snowing so hard. So because New Year's had just passed, so this was like January 2nd or 3rd, I hosted on New Year's Eve. And I had said something like, I don't know about you, I'm not really one for New Year's resolutions, but this year I'm making a resolution to just be happier. Because like things are so generally not great these days. And so I said that just off the cuff, you know, something to fill the, the airtime and hoping that maybe people would care. But I, I got into a lift and it was this young man. Um, he actually drove me to my location. And when I was done doing my thing, I called a lift and it was him again, <laughs> which has never happened before. Um, on the ride over, we didn't really talk. On the way back, because I opened the door and we were both like, hey, it's you. Um, we kind of just started talking. He was around my age. like He looked like late 20s, early 30s. We started talking and he asked me what I do for a living. I told him I work for CPR and he was like, oh my God, I can't believe I have Mayorte on my car. And that stuff happens sometimes. And I'm like, this is so weird. Um, but he said, you know, oh my God, I'm so starstruck. I can't believe I have Mayorte on my car right now, whatever, whatever. So he and I are talking and then he says, you know what you said the other day that really made me happy? And I was like, what? And he quoted that back to me. And he was like, that made me so happy. <laughs> and I always cry when I tell this story because it's so sweet and I didn't expect it. He was just like, that just made me really happy and it made my day because you're right. Like, it's things are really bad right now and there's a reason. It's good to be reminded that there are good things and that you can be happy, whatever. So I really appreciate that. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know? So I felt a type of fulfillment that I had never had before when working in journalism. So if you're listening to this podcast, I want you to take away just happiness and joy 
and like you feel seen. There's something interesting in you. There's something to be told. We all have something fun and fascinating that we can share about ourselves with other people. And if you do, you never know. You might end up making someone's day, making them laugh or making them smile. I think that's that's great. Figuring out your identity is maybe a lifelong project. But now I know I'm a bilingual Latina journalist whose mission is to spread joy. And understanding my own story helps me better understand yours, too. I'm May Ortega. This episode was produced by Aaron Jones and mixed by Pedro Lumbrano, who also wrote our theme music. It was edited by Anna Campbell and Rebecca Romberg. You can find a list of everybody who helped make this episode in the show notes. Gianarwi is a production of Colorado Public Radio. 